Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. Now, this is a passage that is traditionally read on Holy Week, specifically Good Friday, but I thought that there might not be a better description of the kind of disappointment that Jesus felt to his loved ones. And so today, as we went through this harrowing journey, and time and time again, there is disappointment that Jesus experiences because of other people and we have been on this journey about disappointment all throughout our worship in October we have journeyed through when you are disappointed in yourself we have joined journeyed through when you are disappointed in other people and even when you are disappointed in God and today we're focusing on when you're disappointed in your loved ones and as Jesus depicts for us in this recounting of the crucifixion it is so horrifying it is so hurtful and it is deeply disturbing when those that you love disappoint you. And there are a million reasons why that is. Perhaps it's because you have invested so much of yourself in them and the relationship, your time and your energy, your heart and your spirit, your mind, your material resources. You have given countless increments of your energy and you have asked that they be in the right relationship with you there were times where you were so joyful together and then the disappointment hits and whether you're experiencing that as a child disappointed in your parent or a parent disappointed in your child or you're disappointed in another member of your family or your friends when they betray a confidence when you find disappointment in someone with whom you are in a strongly bound relationship it is truly horrible to experience. And it seems to be some of the worst kinds of trials that a relationship can suffer. When you feel betrayed or when you feel that they have failed to live up to their end of the relationship or even when they haven't met the expectations that you have for them. And we have high expectations for those that we love because we have glimpsed glory in them. We have experienced some of the best that humanity has to offer. We know what it is to love them and to be loved by them, and we want that to be what the world sees. And when they disappoint, we mourn that there seems to be a tarnish on that relationship now. And some of us have tried when that happens to kind of sweep it under the rug and move on because we do love that person and we love our relationship and we think maybe we can just move on. We'll just act as if nothing happened. But you cannot fool the heart. The heart knows that there is dissonance. The heart knows that there has been a rending and that we must talk about that. We must journey through that so that we can grant grace and move forward. We can't just pretend that nothing has happened and we try to talk ourselves into it. We think about how we're, you know, maybe they were just having a bad day. We're just going to move on. But it doesn't fix anything. And the human heart aches because of the disappointment. And so today we get to experience that through the eyes of Jesus. Time and time again in these verses, Jesus experiences betrayal and disappointment from human beings, from the crowds of his own people 
calling for his death and crucifixion, to then Pilate just handing him over at the whim of the crowd, to the people choosing an insurrectionist and murderer over their God and king, to the journey where an innocent man, Simon, is co-opted and forced to suffer alongside Jesus, bearing a cross that is not his own, to the people who are gathering as is Jewish custom in that day to publicly mourn for even those they don't know. But because the people have such a communal identity, they believe that it is right that someone should mourn for those that die, even if they were convicted felons, even if they were justly charged with a capital crime, even if it is Jesus. They have gathered and they are publicly crying out and, and beating on their chest. And Jesus looks at them and says, you shouldn't be crying for me. You should be crying for yourselves. You don't understand what you have done. You don't understand what has happened to lead up to this point. And even now, the reality of this escapes you. And the day will come when you recognize that. And then you will truly mourn because you will be disappointed that this is the path that you took. And Jesus continues this journey, and there they nail him agonizingly onto the cross and raise him up over the crowd so that he has a panoramic view of all of those that have gathered to mock him, to watch and see what will he do now, to take pleasure in his humiliation, his embarrassment, and his public shaming of being crucified and killed in this way. They gather and they cast lots for his clothes. The leaders, the religious leaders, the political leaders and the military of that day all mock him, teasing him, asking him to prove who he is by coming down off the cross, not recognizing that by staying on the cross, he is proving who he is. They are asking him to cast aside countless generations of prophecy, countless prophetic scrolls and books in order to meet their curiosity. What a disappointment. And ultimately, while he's on the cross next to him are two crucified thieves and one of them, even in the midst of his own painful death of crucifixion, decides to turn and mock Jesus. I can't imagine the suffering in the spirit of our Lord and Savior at that time. There's one shining glimpse, and that is that the other thief on his other side recognizes the difference between a just punishment and the punishment of an innocent and says, we have done our crime. This man has done nothing. And out of that, he asks for mercy from Jesus, which Jesus grants. And Jesus will cry out from the cross to God the Father. And in the voice of God the Son, we hear, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing as often happens when someone disappoints us. They don't understand the full gravity of what they've said and done. And so Jesus asks for forgiveness and grace for all of them from the vantage point of the cross. I am here suffering and dying that they might have grace. Do not deny it to them, God the Father, for I, God the Son, am interceding on their behalf. And then as he dies... And they witness the darkness coming over the land for hours, hours of agony and suffering. One of the most painful ways to die. Slow, painful suffering. Jesus finally breathes his last, commending his spirit back to God in heaven. And there the people are suddenly filled with what sounds like shame. 
embarrassment that they participated in this by their presence, by their ascension, by their wordless agreement, their silent consent. And they go back home again, beating on their chests as a sign of mourning. And then it closes by saying that the acquaintances, even the women that had followed him from Galilee, were there. But perhaps one of the biggest disappointments of all is who's not there. Nowhere in the text does it talk about the apostles, that group that had been carefully chosen and cultivated so that they would take up the mantle of ministry, not just when Jesus is dead and resurrected, but then, in the three years of his earthly ministry, where are they? How could they have left him and abandoned him? Could they not have even stood at a distance and at least shown him that, that they were there so that he wouldn't be completely and utterly abandoned? What disappointment he must have felt. And we experience the same disappointment. And for us, as we are Christians and trying to wrestle with what do we do when we are so profoundly disappointed in someone we love, we hear the message of Jesus Christ. And that is something that comes from his earlier teaching. There are only two levels of love that Jesus will ascribe to for us. The first is that we will love God, and the other is to love others, all others. The world talks about different levels of relationship and different levels of love. Loving family more than we love our friends, loving our friends more than we love our neighbors, loving our neighbors more than we love strangers, and we'll classify people based upon how compatible we are. Are we religiously compatible, politically compatible? Are we compatible in culture, socioeconomic status, neighborhood, zip codes, area codes? How compatible are we? But Jesus says that that is the way of the world and that is not the way of God. God says, everyone is one of my loved ones. Every human being should be one of your loved ones. We don't have the option of looking at another person as if they are truly other. They are ours because we are all God's children. Every single person is beloved of sacred worth, created in the image of our God and endowed with dignity. And God loves that person no matter how bad they mess up, no matter what they say or what they do, no matter what affiliation or cultural quirk they have, they are loved. And then God demands that we love them too. Love God and love others as yourself. Not love those that you love as you love yourself, but love all others. And that standard is very high. It is the pinnacle of love that Jesus shows in this passage from the cross when Jesus could very easily be handing out punishment and condemnation. Instead, Jesus is handing out mercy and love. Only love could die an innocent death and ask for the forgiveness of those who perpetuated it and those who perpetrated it and those who gave their consent only true love could do that. And Jesus did. And asked us to do the same. And so we are at a point in our lives where we have to realize that there is no other. It's not us and them. An us meaning me and the people who think like me and vote like me. But us as in all of us. Every human being is part of the family of God. Whether they recognize it or not. And that we have to act very differently once we allow that holy truth to become part of who we are. 
I experience this myself, living here in Crozet. It's often that I'm commuting between my home and the church, and none of the roads that I commute on ever get any higher than 25 miles per hour. And living in Crozet for over four years now, I know that you shouldn't go over 25, not because a cop will catch me, but because in Crozet, countless crazy things run out into the road. <laughs> Sometimes it's a deer or a dog or a cat or a squirrel. Sometimes it's a child. Sometimes there's someone on a bike or a jogger, somebody who has headphones on and doesn't hear my car. Sometimes it's cars not knowing where they're going. And so 25 miles per hour or less is actually what I drive because I'm trying to be cognizant of the people with whom I share a community. And as I do that, oftentimes when I'm going home from the church and I turn out onto Jarman's Gap, and if you're not from Crozet, then you should know that it's a very long road that goes up a hill and it's 25 miles per hour. And so as I turned onto this road, there was nobody on Jarman's Gap at the time. I turned onto the road and as I was going up the hill, another person had turned onto the road and had not only gained on me, but caught up and was tailgating me up the road. And so I began to feel my inner Northern Virginia and living twice in New Jersey self-rising of how dare this person tailgate me? What is wrong? I'm doing the speed limit. And then I have to make a right onto Orchard, which is a road that goes through a neighborhood, a community. And oftentimes then you have to be extra willing to break and be aware of things that are happening. And so did the person behind me who was so close that I couldn't see the hood of their car. And so as they came behind me again, they tailgated me all the way down Orchard till we got to the road where I have to make a left to head toward the parsonage, my home, and they were making a right. And as they pulled up to the stop sign next to me, they looked over at me and I looked over at them and I was fully prepared to offer some sort of uh, word or words or gesture that were probably not very becoming of Christ because um, nobody does passive aggressive driving like people from Northern Virginia and New, New Jersey. And this person looked over and I think they wanted to see what my problem was that I was doing 25 and that's when I realized they were a church member and I was their pastor. So both of us ceased to do what I think we were going to do because now it was different. Now we recognize that this isn't a stranger. I'm not a stranger to them and they are not a stranger to me and that we have to behave differently. But the shame is that we should have behaved differently anyway. And so I didn't gesture or call out anything and they were humiliated and embarrassed and they've never tailgated me again. So perhaps there is a redemptive moment there. But we are called to treat every person, even the ones that are tailgating us, the ones that are speaking in opposite political points from us, the ones that seem to be doing things that are absolutely polar opposites from the choices and the words that we would use. Those are the very people that God loves and is asking us to love. And we have to choose to love them as Christ has loved us in our darkest, most wayward, most disobedient times in our life. We have to love people when they are at their worst, when we feel like they are at their worst. We are called to love. That is what Jesus modeled, not only through his entire life and earthly ministry, but when it counted, when bodily pain, mental anguish, and spiritual depravity could have stripped Christ of the divinity and really let the humanity go and offered words of anger and hurt and condemnation, Christ allowed the divinity that God the Son should be what was spoken and shown that day. Didn't 
take care of his earthly body and instead took care of us by offering us radical forgiveness and grace in that moment. And we are called to do likewise. I have never had to experience the level of disappointment that you experience when you're a parent. That's a whole new level of disappointment. And I see my child and raise my child and love my child to be hopefully an amazing Christian adult. But every now and then, because he is a child and because he is a human being, he will say and do things that just wound me deeply. And sometimes they don't wound me deeply because he even says and does it to me but he says and acts towards another person. And I'm constantly having to remind him and myself that we are called to love all people. We might not all get along, and we certainly are not all going to agree, but love cannot be abated by that. We are called to be people who are known by our love, for that is the defining characteristic of our Lord and Savior, that he loved us when we were unlovable. He loved us when we were disobedient. He loved us when we were wayward and self-involved and self-interested and certainly sinful. He has loved us and is asking us to love others. And so one day I was driving around Crow's Day with my son and I'm just a little overwhelmed by the sheer number of political signs that are, have cropped up and some of them are the size of billboards and I don't understand that. Perhaps if you could tell me that a billboard size sign prevents you from ever losing internet connectivity, I would get one. But I don't, it doesn't really resonate with me. I don't really understand that. And my son, who's 11, is pointing this out from the back seat. He's like, this is getting crazy. And I said, you know, I almost wish that the election was just over so that this could go away. Because it struck me that more people I know, because I know whose homes I'm looking at, more people I know and more people in the wonderful community I love called Crozet spend more time campaigning and PRing a candidate than they do their Lord and Savior. We spend more time showing our position for and simultaneously against than we do showing our love. And our lives are built around leaving a legacy. That's what Jesus was talking about in our gathering liturgy. That the day is going to come when people are going to persecute you because my name. He says that to his apostles. It's going to happen. You know, you are going to be persecuted. But the difference is how you chose to act in the midst of persecution. Did you choose to embody me and my love in your words and in your deeds and in your relationships? Choosing to love people who pit themselves against you. All of the people in the scripture today either stood in clear and defiant opposition to Jesus or they stood by and silent. But where was the love? Where was the directional decision to say, you are innocent and this isn't right or we do love you and support you. We do believe. We have seen and heard you. We have experienced your earthly miracles and we know that you are the Messiah. Instead, there was silence and the voice that spoke was hatred, humiliating and divisive. We're called to love instead. And so I hope and pray that each of us will start thinking today about our legacy and you judge that by what will happen when you are dead. When you are dead, what is it that people will say about you? They're not going to talk about 
the amount of money in your bank account or the number of real estate listings and holdings that you had. People get up in pulpits and they talk about a person. They talk about relationship. But the thing that truly resonates throughout a room of mourners is the love. Talk about how they loved you and how they spoke to you, how they made you feel and how their love had form and function in the missions and the ministries that they engaged in. That's the legacy. The legacy of Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry was above all love. And it was embodied in his words. Forgive them. They know not what they do. That's the kind of love that we are to show to the people that we feel that we are in opposition to, who feel so distinct and different from us that they couldn't possibly be our loved ones. We should look at them and think, they don't know what they're doing, but I'm going to love them anyway. I'm going to love them. I am going to love through the words that crash into mine. I'm going to love them through the disagreements. I'm going to love them when they don't vote the way I vote. I'm going to love them when they don't live the way I live. I'm going to love them when they don't worship the way I worship. I am going to love them because I know in my heart of hearts and in the depths of my being that God Almighty loves them where they are. Amen. And I'm going to love them too because God's loved me where I am. And God loves us no matter what. That is the greatest testimony and legacy a Christian can leave. That we love as we have been loved. And that's what we're being asked to do. People are going to disappoint us. Maybe that they're related to us. It may be that they are people that we confide in and we hold in a special place in our hearts. And it may be people that we think we could never choose as a friend, that we would hope would never marry into our families. But because of the grace of God, they are already in your family. They are already your brothers and sisters in Christ. They are already your sibling. And it's time that we started acting like we are redeemed people who do believe that grace and the love of God change everything. So in the days ahead, when you are feeling the disappointment and the rage and the anger and the fear all around you, when you feel it bubbling up inside and when you are listening to it coming from other human vessels, remember what Christ shows us. That the only thing that can truly overcome disappointment is love. Loving people in spite of the disappointment, loving people through the disappointment, and loving people into redemption. May it be so. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.